Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks to at tvsportsblog.com for their support of the podcast over the last few weeks. Much appreciated from them. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. And it's the 150th, and I'm quite excited by that. In a way, I just want to raise my back in a very small gesture and then move on because there's plenty more Cricket Badger podcasts to come. But it's well worth celebrating, I think, the fact that we've been around for 150 editions of the podcast. And just three groups of people i just like to very quickly thank... The first one is just an individual, really, and sadly he departed just over two years ago. Dave Callahan, the former BBC Leeds cricket commentator, was the first person that put a microphone in my hand and inspired me to think that actually it's quite good fun to talk about cricket on air. So a uh, massive thanks to Callie. Thank you to you for listening as well. Uh, some of you have been with the Cricket Badger podcast right from the very start. Others have just caught up with it over lockdown and uh, in recent weeks, but massively uh, appreciated anybody that listens to the podcast. It's totally worthless doing something like this unless you're actually talking to somebody at the other end of it so your support of the cricket badger podcast is greatly appreciated and then the final group of people are the guests on the show we've had uh, some fantastic names on the cricket badger podcast over the 150 editions it seems like an age away now since i think the first one i I sat down and and chatted to graham harcastle about cricket for episode number one and since then i've lost count of the test caps and odis and and fantastic names that we've had on the Cricket Badger podcast. To pick out a couple though, Michael Carberry's edition, the 147th at the start of uh, about a week ago now, um, really did hit a note with a lot of people. Obviously the issue of racism and, and what Carb said was picked up by the press and what have you. And when you get a guest on that is very honest and open and actually says it as it is, I think that is to be applauded. I think uh, Carbs coming on and saying what he said really did strike a note. And I think uh, that was uh, probably the most important edition of the Cricket Badger podcast that we've got. And the other person is Dan Norcross, who has joined me many times on the Cricket Badger podcast. He was with me for the 50th edition. He was with me for the 100th edition. And he's back today to celebrate the fact that it's 150. Norcross, how are you? I'm very well. I want to congratulate you on this sterling and incredible effort. I don't think... It's the fastest 150 podcast, <laughs> but it's not that far off, you know. Um, I'll tell you what, it's got faster over the last few weeks of lockdown. I've been um, I've been chucking them out left, right and centre because it's been a, a terrific have. time to get people because they've had nothing else to do. And we've put out some uh, some pretty decent podcasts, I think, over the last few weeks. But you know, it's been a, it's been a long, hard process. And at times in the early stages, I thought I was talking to myself. But it's grown and it's grown and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest. It's, it's my little baby and it's something that uh, I, I think is starting to really 
kind of grab people's attention. Now, we spoke on the 100th edition, Dan, about what I would like to do with the podcast. And one of the things I said was to get some new kit. And the association of uh, tvsportsblog.com has allowed that to happen. So the quality of the audio has got better as well. And the other thing I said to you on that 100th edition was that I'd like to get out more and actually speak to people around the country and sit down with them and have proper chats. And unfortunately, because of the last few months, that's been impossible. So, But that's something that maybe for later on in the summer, I'll be actually get to do. Oh. Wouldn't that be lovely? We're all desperately hoping for that, aren't we? There's all sorts of green shoots of hope, crucially, you know, for uh, for recreational cricket. You know, I was asked the other day by Phil Walker. You'll know Phil at Wisden Cricket Monthly. Certainly do. He said to me, uh, how, how's, how's your love for cricket sort of manifested itself during lockdown? You know, has it got more or less or whatever? And I thought about it. And, you know, it was a funny thing. I sort of alighted upon two things that I've, find I miss more than I realised I would. And one of them is sitting in the garden with a chin and tonic, listening to county cricket commentaries and being able to toggle from one to the other, you know, depending on which game we've got excited. Uh, so it's like having your own kind of sports Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. You can just go onto the BBC website and then go, oh, I'll have a listen to Surrey. Oh, I'll better check in, see how Yorkshire are doing. You know, hear Richard Ray being really sad at Leicester because something's gone horribly wrong again. That's been bowled out for 80. And, and I really, really have missed that. When the sun was shining, I just kept looking at my garden, hankering for that. And the other one was a big surprise, actually. I used to play cricket, club cricket, every weekend. Not particularly well. I was captain and team secretary, so obviously I didn't have much talent. All I had was a telephone number and a willingness to get teams out on the pitch, you know. And um, when I started broadcasting, I guess, really, 10 years ago now, 10, 11 years ago, I couldn't play cricket in the female cricket match, so I couldn't be captain because you know, professional games take place on Saturday and Sunday. I sort of stopped playing in, in any, you know, to, to any great degree and discovered that every time I did play cricket, especially for somebody of my limited talents, is not like riding a bike. So if you don't play it, you lose the ability. You know, your feet don't move properly, can't time it, you dread being under a skyer. All that kind of thing. A, a medium pace suddenly becomes quite quick, don't they? Yeah, well, actually, the strange kind of way, I'd rather it work quicker. It's the slower ones, you know, that yeah. I find absolutely impossible. It's can't time anything, you know, because I'm not netting, I'm not practicing. This year, for the first time in four or five years, I had a massive hankering to get back in the nets and go and play again. So, you know, I think I might have a, I'm going to have a comeback, James. I'm going to do it. Never too I'm late, though. It's one, never too late. One last bid for glory. It's going to happen. I'll tell you, the, the thing I've picked up from listeners over the last uh, couple of months has been exactly what you've said, but from a listener's point of view or a, a cricket viewer's point of view, the fact that it's been such beautiful weather out there. It's been one of the best summers, early parts of the summer that we've ever had, certainly in my lifetime. And the fact that we've just not been able to go and watch cricket. I think people have really, really missed it. And uh, yeah, well, quickly may it return. And it's going to return just around the corner. We've obviously got the West Indies have arrived in this country um, we're going to play a three-test match series against England. You're going to be involved a little bit with that, with uh, your work with uh, BBC Test Match Special. And you're going to be entering a bio-bubble, aren't you? I am. I'm very, very much looking forward to the bio-bubble. I, I feel a bit sorry for my colleagues because uh, they will have done the first two games, which have been all you know, really exciting because everyone's desperately keen to get back out on the pitch again. And first game's at the AGS Bowl, second game's at Manchester. And then I turn up for the third game and I'm going to be giddy with excitement and they're all going to have been, you know, locked down with each other for the next past <laughs> two and a half weeks. What the ECB have done is truly fantastic, you know. It's very fashionable to uh, com- 
complain at cricket boards and, and football authorities and what have you for you know not doing enough for the game. But what they've had to go through to get this series of matches on has been nothing short of Herculean. You know, it's not like putting on a football match, a five-day test match, especially back-to-back games, the number of different moving parts, the zoning of the hotels and ensuring that, you know, there's as little unnecessary contact as possible. At the same time, uh, we had a, a marvellous briefing from them the other day, and uh, they're, they're genuinely serious about trying to make the whole experience as normal as possible so that, you know, not, not that it matters that we enjoy it particularly, but they're going out of their way to ensure that, you know, we're comfortable and safe and well looked after. And uh, the, the plans that, that I've seen, I won't go into because they're, they're, they're long. <laughs> and I don't think we've got the time for it today. But uh, they are astounding what they've put together. I'm incredibly impressed. They deserve an awful lot of praise. And, of course, the, the others, the other group of people that deserve a lot of praise are the players from both teams. The England players will be, you know, understandably a little bit agitated and worried about their families and what have you. And uh, the West Indies, who will have flown from a relatively COVID-free environment into one that, frankly, is not. So for them to do all that, to ensure that cricket does happen, I think is just a magnificent testament to everybody's efforts. And uh, I'm not really looking forward to it, because I think we're going to have a, it'll be a strange feeling, James. I think we're going to be so grateful for the cricket. And we've got to be really patient with the players as well, because they won't have played. You know, we talk about people coming into a red ball game told because they've only been playing T20. Well, you know, the, the players won't have had really com- you know, competitive cricket for a long time. They've been in such unusual circumstances. So I think we're going to be giving everybody a lot more slack. And I think it's just, we're all just going to revel in the joy of it taking place, albeit in a kind of cavernous and largely empty stadium. It's going to be a very, it's going to be a strange experience. But the, the other part of it, I guess, that, I'm really looking forward to, and it sounds a bit trite to say it, but just, you know, sitting down next to Tuffers and Andy Zaltzman and, you know, where else is there, seeing Aggers and Simon and Borny and what have you, it's just, you're starved of company in lockdown. So I feel incredibly privileged to have that to look forward to, that, you know, in five or six weeks' time, I'll be able to get to sort of muck in with the old chums again. So, yeah, um, good old cricket, eh? I love it. I don't think that sounds trite at all. I think everybody can relate to that, that they've missed a, just having a, a, a fairly benign chin wag with somebody and yeah. seeing them face to face and seeing the whites of people's eyes. And I, I echo what you've said there. I think there's two things that come from what you've just said. I think, uh, I hope that cricket remembers the, the efforts of the West Indies to come over because it isn't just um, a normal trip for them. And I think they should be applauded and thanked by cricket fans around the world, not just in this country. But I hope that's remembered in, in future negotiations for things, how much they've uh, put themselves on the line to come across and play this series. And what you said about the ECB as well. I mean, some people listening might find it it's strange that I say this because I'm, I've been a big opponent of the 100 and have criticised the ECB for that. But I think in pretty much every single other part of the game, they are a brilliant organisation and lead cricket very, very well indeed. And this is uh, a summer that's very, very difficult for cricket and difficult for the ECB. And I think they've actually dealt with it quite well. Well, I, I really do, actually. Uh, because you know, a lot of people are saying, well, surely they can just get the games on if you can get football on. It, it doesn't work like that, really. I mean, the, the plans to put on a five-day test are so involved. And you can see why they are. And they all have to be. And they all have to go through government approval as well. So... You know, these are cricket administrators and they're suddenly having to learn really quite complicated stuff about creating biosecure environments. I mean, 
I, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes, to be honest with you. And I think we do have to, to tip our hat to them and say, well done for getting it on. And, and cricket needs to be played. You know, yeah. the ECB need cricket to be played. They need it to be broadcast. I mean, I know and totally understand the feelings of fans, spectators, who may be thinking, you know, well, what's the point in this game? It's behind closed doors. Well, the broadcasters generate a lot of revenue for the ECB. And if there's no cricket, that revenue doesn't come in. And if that doesn't come in, then it affects all forms of cricket. It'll affect county games into the future. You know, this series of matches is really, not to put too fine a point on it, ensuring the financial capacity, capability, stability, put it what you will, for the ECB uh, at a time when they, they could have gone under. <laughs> I mean, I say that. I don't know if they could have gone under, but we're talking large sums of money that they wouldn't have got unless they could get these matches on. So to do that, we've got to remember that a lot of these things are intertwined. So having facilities that work, having clubs that work, that have trading facilities for young people to come through and play, and uh, they're all interlinked. It all goes up to the top of the pyramid. And you know, for the ECB to get this on and to ensure the the future prosperity of the game, as I say, I take my hat off to them. It's uh, it's great, great work, uh, and we just hope that if the situation in the country continues to improve, albeit it seems quite a glacial pace, but if it continues to improve, might we get to see something twenty maybe at the back end of the season again? I recognise a lot of your listeners will be disappointed that people aren't thinking in terms of four day cricket, but it's very difficult to get four day cricket on. Um, the costs of doing it in the way that the test matches are going to be produced really make it unviable, unfortunately. But I, I don't think people have given up hope for a bit of T20 in front of some spectators with a bit of luck come September. But for that, obviously, we need we need the government's strategies in combating the virus to to be effective. There's no other way about it. And then you realise that we're we are all in that. We all have a responsibility for that as well. So. It's it's been a funny old time, hasn't it, James? You suddenly realise the interconnectedness of everything. It certainly and, has. Uh, it's, uh, it's been your, your it, it's, it's been a very strange summer, and the the you know the, the bio bubble and the behind closed doors nature of the test series is going to be just an extension of that, really, isn't it? And you mentioned the ECB's finances. I mean, every business in the country is suffering, unless you're making hand sanitizers or something. You've you've suffered a, a big hit over the COVID nineteen period, and cricket's not going to be immune to that. So the the fact that we get some cricket on and get some money coming into the uh, into the coffers is, is massively important because it might not have been the ECB going under, but it might have been a county side or it might have been something else that suffered. And yeah, the more money that comes into the game this summer is just going to fill that black hole because it's a, it's a big number that the ECB are missing out on potentially during the summer months. And you, you mentioned as well, um, it doesn't really matter if they make it a nice experience for you going into the bio bubble, but it does really, doesn't it? I mean, you're going to be excited about seeing cricket anyway, but if you're on air, you want to be happy and you want to be excited because then that comes across to the listeners. Well, you do, yes. Um, I just don't want to over-egg that pudding, really, because I'm very conscious just how lucky we are because, you know, we are going to get to see some cricket live. And, you know, the vast, vast majority of cricket fans are going to be watching it on TV, which I'm sure they'll get great pleasure from or listening on the radio. But, you know, we have that, uh, that, that special privilege. So, you know, I don't think we need to worry too much about <laughs> being kept in luxury. We've already got the excitement of the game to look forward to. And I think... Uh, to be honest with you, just the thrill of seeing cricket again after so long. Um, I don't think we'll struggle to find enthusiasm. Well, where we 
where we'll be challenged, I think, a little bit is, you know, someone gets out playing. The worst shot in Test cricket history, apart from Shannon Gabriel's, could well have been <laughs> Ben Stokes's first innings dismissal at Headingley. Yeah. Which so brilliantly redeemed himself with in the second innings. But, you know, if you see shots like that, then your instinct as a commentator is to call them out, you know, point out that they're terrible shots because that's partly what you're there for, as well as pointing out wonderful shots. But I think actually our instincts are going to be challenged a little bit during this series because I think we've all got to be a little bit more forgiving of everybody out there for the reasons I said earlier. You know, they haven't had the, the practice time. They won't, have, they won't necessarily be in Nick, will they? It's going to be very strange for them and there's not going to be a crowd there, which they're very much used to playing. You know, the intensity of international cricket, part of, part of that intensity is generated by the crowd. So, um, we're all going to, I think, find it a little odd, but there's no no harm in that, is there? You adapt to what it is that you see. Uh, I think it'll be fascinating, actually. It'll be a very peculiar experience, but one that those of us who, who get to experience it are just extraordinarily privileged and lucky to get to do. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. It'll be, what do you think? I mean, I, I, my, my view is that I'm really not going to be able to have a go at somebody who flashes outside off something gets a nick. I, I, um, I think you should, you should still call that. It's a bad shot, whether it's a bad shot in a bio bubble or not. I think it's still a bad shot. But I think, you know, generally speaking, the listeners, myself, are just waiting to press that button and listen to live sport again. Um, and that's across all sports. But, you know, we're, we're, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Can't wait for cricket to come back. And can't wait to listen to BBC TMS Sky and everybody else that does a fantastic job in the sport telling us what's going on. Um, I think it's uh, something to be very much looked forward to after being denied live cricket for some time. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look. And give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Stay safe though, Norkers, and I hope you enjoy it and I hope it's a good experience for everybody involved in that Test Match series. But we are here to talk today on the Cricket Badger podcast about something completely different to that. You've been scratching your head and thinking, so have I, and we've come up with five things each that will change cricket for the better, in our humble opinions. And that's what we're going to go through for the rest of this Cricket Badger podcast. I'm going to let you go first, Dan, because you are the guest on this 150th edition of the show so number one of the 10 things that we can change to make cricket better, over to you, Mr. Norcross. The theme, really, of, of I've chosen five, the uh, theme of my five are, are pretty similar, really. They, they, they're all about awareness and growing the game and growing people's appreciation of it. Um, and as you well know, I am a bit of a test cricket nut. I love all forms of cricket, but I have that anxiety about test cricket and whether it will survive because without it I think we'll have lost something that we'll never get back. Test cricket is so weird that no one's ever going to invent it again. So having got it we need to keep hold of it. Um, and the ICC have done on the face of it a decent job in creating the World Test Championship which it's always bedeviled cricket hasn't it? How do you make context and meaning in Test cricket? It's all bilateral series world rankings is one thing but World Test Championship, and they've got it going. But what you need to have at the World Test Championship is visibility and awareness. And I've just been making a uh, documentary over the last 12 weeks called Calling the Shot, which is about 
the history of broadcasting and commentary. And when you and I were growing up, the notion of rights barely existed. State broadcasters pretty much always covered the matches, didn't they? They covered their home matches. BBC would cover England at home. Um, and I'll, actually, contrary to what you may think, didn't always tour by any means until well into the 70s. Uh, but you had the uh, your opposition host broadcasting. Now, once we got into this century, the 21st century, we started seeing wrangles over rights. Um, happened a lot in India. You may recall that the India-Australia series of 2013 didn't have a, an official broadcaster in Australia. So the organisation I set up, Test Match Sofa, was broadcasting the audio ball-by-ball commentary into Australia. That was the only way they could hear it uh, until Jeff Lemon at the Raw Radio did something very similar for the final two test matches. And this was all because of wranglings over rights and, and what people were going to pay to do it. And if you got standoffs, that meant that the, the consumer, the fan, the spectator, call them what you want, uh, got, got the sharp end of those negotiations when they failed. They just didn't get their cricket. So what I want the ICC to do is to commit to an ICC-funded audio feed as a backup for all World Test Championship matches so that I know that whoever is playing in the World Test Championship, I can sit in my garden or sit in the sitting room or wherever I have to be and find it, possibly on the ICC website, and know that there will always be commentary and coverage of the WTC. Because I think that, apart from anything else, that would show a commitment to the products that they're, they're making. Totally agree with that. I think there's there's a number of things maybe slightly wrong with the World Test Championship at the moment. The point scoring system and everything else is a, a little bit strange, isn't it, at times? But mm-hmm. I think, you know, as you say, if, if you're going to... A lot of what I, I, I think about the ICC and any governing body is if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk as well. And if you are saying that the test matches are important enough to have a World Test Championship, I totally agree. Yeah, broadcast them, let people listen to them and, and enjoy them. And, crucially, um, employ me and my friends to do it. Sorry, did I, did I just say that out loud? <laughs> well, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I mean that quite simply. But, yes, I, I, think it, I think it was one of the biggest problems facing the game in the 2010s. Uh, was the lack of coverage. I think there's an easy solution to it. I don't think it costs much, and I think the ICC can, can take control of it. In just the same way as, you know, FIFA does. There's never any danger that a football match isn't going to be covered somewhere in a world championship. So I just think the ICC can do that. I'm glad we agree. Tick. We're I getting t- somewhere here. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, on, on the list in front of me of the 10, there's only one that I really fundamentally di- disagree with you. We'll come to that very sh- um, shortly. But uh, <laughs> I think if, if we were the ICC committee, Dan, it would be a reasonably short meeting. We'd, we'd agree on most things and we'd just get on with it, I think. We'd be spending all their cash reserves, but yeah, but why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's number one. Let's move on to mine. We're going to alternate as we go through these 10. And my first one is around about mental health and player well-being. I think... Quite rightly, mental health has lost its stigma. People, are, More and more people are talking about it. We've seen the likes of Marcus Trisgothic and Jonathan Trott, probably the two no- most notable people in English cricket, talking very frankly and openly about their, their struggles. I spoke to Daryl Mitchell on the Cricket Budget podcast the other day and uh, you know the work that the PCA do in terms of mental health and, and player well-being, I think, is, is to be lauded. But I do think that it's an issue pre-COVID, but I think post-COVID, it might become even more of an issue because the temptation for cricket authorities, having lost a, a chunk of cricket and, and 
a chunk of finances is going to be to flog players to death to try and make up for that and to you know shoehorn series into into very small gaps as it stands at the moment uh, a lot of the cricketers don't get too much time but you know particularly the international cricketers don't, don't get too much time at home with their families i mean obviously over the last few weeks they've had a lot of time at home might even have made that contrast even more stark if they've enjoyed the last couple of months of lockdown being at home with their families and watching their kids develop thought of going on tour for five or six weeks might be even more of a, a, a burden on them and they might miss home even more so. So I think we need to be very, very careful about the, the fixture scheduling, about the, the need to get the funds in, but also bear in mind the fact that we need to look after the prized asset, really. I mean, it's all very well having fantastic broadcasters, great grounds and, and wonderful countries involved. But unless you've got star players playing at their very best... That's the, that's the key thing. We want to watch the, the very best in the world thriving on that international stage. So I think we need to be very, very careful over the next, uh, well, for the foreseeable and, and beyond of people's mental health, the problems that they're up against, and be very careful that we, we manage them well and look after the prized asset of the game, and that's the players and, and their brains and their bodies, and make sure that they, they're happy doing what they're doing because everybody that plays cricket should do it. Obviously, it's their job, but they should do it because they love cricket. And if it ever becomes too much of a job and it becomes staring at four walls in a hotel room wondering why the world's kind of weighing you down so heavily, then cricket isn't doing the right thing with the, the players that are involved in that. So people need to take responsibility right. and mental health is hugely important. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll give you some uh, examples of... of things working a bit better in that regard i'd say i think more people are being given the space to talk than they did 10 years ago certainly i think language around mental health has improved enormously uh, among broadcasters and players and coaches which i think is really helping i think fans are also are learning to understand that there are real pressures terrible pressures on young men in the spotlight playing cricket, which is a vicious and unforgiving game. If you're a batsman, you know, if you, if you think about it, I think you've probably said this to you before, but Graham Fowler was saying to me that if you look back on his career, 80% of the days he played, he'd have considered himself a failure. Mm. So as a batsman, you get out, don't you, yeah. without getting the runs you want. Even if you get 50, you're not happy because you should have got 100. So, you know, it takes a lot of mental toughness to go to work and to think that you failed day after day. We, we don't have to do that, do we? It's a general rule. It's unusual cricket for that. And I think there are going to be more pressures on players that we haven't even really thought about as a result of COVID. You know, I do think that the furlough scheme, whilst it's a, a good thing for propping up clubs and helping them out at times of difficulty, does throw up the odd anomaly that an England-selected player can go back to the net and start training but somebody who's competing for a place in the England team but hasn't hasn't been selected uh, will feel that they're falling further behind because they can't go and net, which I think is crazy, really. I think that doing your job as a professional sportsman is playing the game. It's not practising the game. Yeah. If, if, a, if, a, if a journalist or a newspaper was furloughed, it, it still might want to write at home, you know, <laughs> and practise writing because that's writing is is, is about uh, having or, a muscle berry or, or tuning out a ridiculous amount of cricket budget podcast you know that everybody gets get themselves or, busy exactly yeah. exactly or churning out cricket budget podcast so I, all i would say is i i agree with you entirely i think there's some great work being done in this done in this field though um graham fowler at durham is a mental health ambassador and it's been putting out 
um, videos on Twitter. I think that the ECB has worked more in that department than they probably did do 10 or 15 years ago. And so I think we're moving in the right direction, Adja. Uh, but I wholeheartedly approve of your sentiment. We need to do more. I think as well in, in these modern times, and I've been guilty of it in the past as well, of kind of sort of laying into a player and not really considering what's going on in their lives. And I think with Indeed. social media like uh, like it is, it's beholden on us all to maybe be a little bit more understanding at times of people's... Uh, you know, there's always something going on in somebody's brain that you don't know about. And uh, that, that's worth remembering, I think, before you kind of lay the boot in really on somebody's uh, successive noughts or something in a test match. Well, I tell you what, make this a mantra uh, for everybody out there. If you're just about to lay into somebody what looks like timorous or, or muddle-headed cricket, just remember the case of Jonathan Trott, who was going through a terribly difficult time in 2013-14, and people were laying into him all over the place for getting out to Mitchell Johnson and calling him scared and heaven knows what else. And the reality was that there were far more turbulent things going on in his mind at that time. So if we just pause every time we think we're about to lay into someone or be a bit vicious, just ask yourself that question. I think that would be my be my advice. I think that's that's decent advice. It's that balance between passion and caring about what you're seeing your team doing, and actually thinking about the individuals that are doing it, isn't it? And yeah, it's definitely a balance that we need to think more about. Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post COVID nineteen? Try SlateApp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate, slateapp.co.uk. Let's move on to the third one then. And I'll tell you what, Dan, we could probably do a podcast on probably every single one of these 10, so we need to uh, be careful with time a little bit. But your, your, your third one and, uh, and why? Yeah. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through it because it, I think it's my single greatest contribution to world cricket if they do this. <laughs> Say I immodestly. Yeah. Um, this is going I to be known as the Norcross plan as we go forward, isn't it, in world cricket? Exactly. Do you know what this is? This is like the opposite of Tolpak in a way. <laughs> what I would like the ICC to do, and don't forget the ICC does have a considerable amount of money, I want them to fund effectively scholarships by paying a, a reasonable wage not like massive sums of money, but, you know, a reasonable wage, let's say, for example, £35,000 if it was in England for a season, to associate players, one associate player in every first-class setup around the world. So that would be, you know, that, that could be a Dutch player getting to go and play for Barbados or um, a, 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 potentially a German player going and playing for Derbyshire. So you get the idea. Yes. So basically... There would be about, I, I don't know off the top of my head, I'm thinking between 80 and 100 associate players would then get the experience of playing first-class cricket funded by the ICC. It would make the associate cricket that much stronger because they get the experience and they get top-level coaching and they would get to see cut and thrust of first-class cricket. And I want to grow the game. I, want, I don't want it just to remain as the current test-playing nations. I want to see associate nations thrive. And I think the way to do that is to get them into the system. But I can't expect Derbyshire, with its limited resources, to take a punt, if you like, on a, on a UAE player. So that's why I would do it this way. I totally agree with you. And I, I think there should be no pressure on whoever's uh, taking them into their squad 
to play them even. You know, they've got to, they've oh, got to no. be good enough to make the first 11, but at least you're experiencing the dressing rooms. You're talking to some very experienced players that are, are playing in first-class cricket. You, you're in the nets practising against very good bowlers or bowling against very good batsmen. It, it can only do a player good, can't it? I would have thought so. To me, it's, an, it's, an, it's not that expensive no-brainer. Just a few million pounds a year, I reckon. And it, it links to my next point as well, number four on our list of uh, 10 things to change to make cricket better. And I've been rather dismayed, I think, over the last uh, few world um, events. I mean, obviously not dismayed that England won the world, last World Cup, but the fact that there were so few teams playing in that World Cup. Uh, I've, I've kind of grown up watching cricket where we've seen Kenya doing fantastic things on the world stage, Canada, Netherlands, Scotland, Ireland, etc., etc., etc. There's some really good countries out there that are really trying to get a foothold in the world game, trying to do the best they can in their respective countries. We've seen Afghanistan coming from absolutely nowhere to being part of uh, you know, the big boys, really, in terms of their, their success on the world stage. So I think when we have world events and we, when we have world T20s, we have the World Cups, etc., it should be extended as far as possible to include as many of those associate nations as possible to give them the chance of pitting their wits against the very best in the world and you know in pressurized situations because that's when you learn the most about your own game and, and how good your country is and it might be that there will be some absolute spankings australia thump the netherlands and netherlands look look silly but you'll also get the flip side of that where netherlands turn up and shock australia and all of a sudden, you've got a giant killing on your hands, and that country gets such a major buzz from that. The supporters are absolutely overjoyed, and the players take a huge amount of confidence from that. And that can only be a good thing. And the the, the what, reason it's been slimmed down is to appease the big boys so that they get further in the tournament and the TV rights are secured in India, etc. And that can't be a good thing. It can't be a good thing that you know, one country has that power. Everybody should be equal in world cricket. And I think the more people you have playing in these major events, the better. I entirely agree with you. I, I, I super, super agree with you. I do think that it's probably impossible to imagine a world in which all the participating nations are equal because at the moment there is just such a massive uh, difference in the amount of money India brings into the game uh, and all the rest of the countries. So that is an issue. But I think India can... Uh, understand and see over time that the game can only be strengthened by the associations. I got to see Scotland beat the world, well they weren't yet world champions but they were clearly best side in the world England at the Grange and it was absolutely thrilling. It was just brilliant. The atmosphere was brilliant. Some of the play was absolutely brilliant. The standard of associate cricket is miles away from what it was in the 1970s when Canada would get rolled over for 45 in a World Cup. They're just, they're so much better. And what we want to do is grow the game and seed the game. And it was nonsensical, really. And Scotland got a really bad umpiring decision and that was enough mm. for them not to make it to a World Cup. And I know these things can happen, but it's because they had such a flimsy chance of getting in in the first place. Everything had to go right for them to make it. And it, well, it goes back great. to what I was saying before, really, about if you are the governing body and you are saying that we want to grow the game, we want to take it to new places and we want to bolster where it's already successful um, in some of the smaller nations, you've got to not just talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk as well. And kind of in the actions that we've seen, that not, hasn't necessarily translated into more opportunities and more success for those associate nations. And you mentioned the fact that there are the big three. India are ruling the roost. They're, they're quite powerful or very powerful in the world game. 
England, Australia just behind them. They take the majority of the money and they sometimes even look a little bit bullish or they take their toys home and say, I don't want to be involved in that because it's not going the way we want it to go. And I can understand, you know, India, Australia, England, very successful. They make a lot of money. They're good for the game for the vast majority of the time. But at times it doesn't help world cricket, I don't think, when you've got three that are so successful and can control things so much. I agree. It's all about the ICC. And we're going we're gonna to find this is a... This is going to be a theme that crops up over and over again in this conversation, James. To, to my view, the ICC needs to be beefed up and operate independently for the betterment of cricket. I initially was going to do this on my own, and I had a, a, ten, a list of 10, and one of the 10 was, what is the role of the ICC, and how much power does it have? And if, if you're going to try and marshal these big boys, the, you know, the, the big kids in the playground, you need to have a big head teacher, don't you? Who can shout at people at times and actually and actually control things? And I think the ICC needs to grow a few more teeth and uh, you know maybe take a little bit more control and be a bit harsher at times on, on on some people. And that's only because we want the game to grow and we want the game to succeed. It's not because we're actually criticising India, Australia, and England. It's because we want to see cricket successful around the whole globe. Indeed, it's that Badger style. So there we have it. We got up to number five. In our 10 Things We Change About Cricket, tune in to the second part. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the podcast at tvsportsblog on Twitter. Turn me off now, turn on part two, and here, the Badger and Norkers give you more things we change about cricket to make the world of cricket a better place. Podcast Network.